there is a consequence in sound. A Shakespearean tragedy that started straight out of New York with a rivalry between two labels that came to a dismal end in California. Legendary rap artist Tupac Shakur was gunned down in Las Vegas on September 7, 1996, at the age of 25. Six months later, Christopher Wallace, aka Biggie Smalls, or the notorious B.I.G. met the same fate in Los Angeles on March 9th, 1997, at the age of 24. It was a cruel extermination of hip-hop's elite, leaving everyone with the same question. Who killed Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls? Was it rivalry? Was it greed? Or was it a conspiracy? We talk about the paranormal aftermath. Both artists had an eerie obsession with death, but have they come back in the afterlife? What famous stars have claimed to be visited by these legendary rap artists? And do they haunt the locations where they were slain and where they have worked? This is the true crime and paranormal aftermath of Tupac Shakur and Christopher Wallace, the Notorious B.I.G. Hello, welcome to Hollyweird Paranormal. If you're just tuning into our podcast for the first time, hola. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Stay with us. Love us. Yes. Love us, please. We're needy. We need <laughs> I know. And if you're just tuning back into our podcast, welcome back. Welcome back, friend. We're your host, Tammy Merhab Chavez. Hello, I'm Bryce Mitchell Williams. And welcome back. So you heard it on the intro. We are going to be talking about the true crime and paranormal aftermath of Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls, a.k.a. Notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. Christopher Wallace, because when you're in the rap industry, you need more than one. Yes, I think that's the first rule. That's rule number one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the rest of the rules. Me, no, zero. (laughs) Bling, bling, Crystal. We have Crystal here. Yes. Um, It's the pole man's Crystal because (laughs) we do not get paid for this podcast. No. So we um, thought outside the box and bought like a bottle of $8 Andre champagne. (laughs) Classic, I love it. It was very classic. Look, it won an award, so it's pretty close to the real thing. (laughs) So uh, we're going to be pretty much uh, talking about the background of hip hop, how Mm -hmm. it started, the origins. We're going to take you through a little historical trip throughout California and New York, the Bronx, Harlem, Mm -hmm. Manhattan, and in California, Compton and Watts, and how both styles of music came about and how these two individuals began their stardom. So. First off, because Bryce has stated before in our last episode that he's white. <laughs> yes. Who better, I think, than a gay white boy to talk about Tupac and Biggie? I think I really... It don't matter. No, it doesn't matter. It don't matter. <laughs> Plus, you're from the Midwest, too, and there's some mis- Midwest rappers. 
one, and we excommunicated him immediately. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got Nelly, you got yeah. Bone Thugs, and you have the biggest one. You have Kanye. We do, well, yeah, we have Kanye. You're yeah, like, great. well, I mean, I guess if you consider him, we barely claim him. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Kanye. He named his daughter after the city that he was born and raised in, Chicago. Oh, bless Chicago West. Imagine if he was from a random town in Illinois, like Kickapoo <laughs> or Assumption. I would, I would also not be that. I'm surprised. gonna name my daughter after Kickapoo. I mean, sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, he would. St- Still make money off of that name, yeah, regardless. Hundred percent. He, yeah. <laughs> or even assumption, <laughs> assumption West. Just oh, imagine that. I actually like that more than Chicago. Is that weird? Assumption. Really? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that like has a nice ring to it. Dear the West family. <laughs> Dear West. As avid listeners of our podcast. Here's an assumption. <laughs> <laughs> So here we go, guys. All right. We're going to start out with a little history because I am a huge fan of Tupac Shakur. I remember being in middle school and being introduced to his music and also Biggie's music and where I was when we heard the news of both of their deaths. Mm. And I remember even in school, like my friends and I would always like trade albums of a lot of the West Coast and East Coast artists. So I'm a big music fan in that sense. So we're going to walk down memory lane and go through several decades of what was going on in uh, California and New York Mm -hmm. and also give you a little lesson. And it's just my opinion on the differentials of West Coast and East Coast music because that's very important. Yeah. All right, guys. So um, during the 1960s. There is uh, racially charged tension throughout the nation during... uh, (laughs) I had heard heard that. uh, Right? So, you know, it's all due to the civil rights movement. So we see the rise of the Black Panther Party, the Brown Berets, Mm -hmm. and of course, Malcolm X Federation. And in California, we had a huge riot in Watts, California, and this occurred in the late 60s. And this happened all throughout, you know, this time period. Then we transition to the 70s. So we slowly start to see the birth of gangs such as Bloods and Crips Mm -hmm. in the West Coast and other criminal elements such as street gangs in New York. So they were exploding in number and beginning to support themselves with a large um, scale of drug dealing. And they're mainly doing this in, you know, little urban areas, Mm -hmm. mainly the Bronx. Not to mention there was a huge arson epidemic that occurred in the Bronx in 1977 during the World Series between the New York Yankees and the LA Dodgers. So already there's beef between East Coast Mm -hmm. and West Coast because of this baseball game. People freaked out because we lost, um, no, the Yankees lost. Oh, okay. And it it was a big ordeal in the middle of the game. Someone called something out and people just didn't agree with it. So... The Bronx was burning. Oh. Yeah. So you had that occur. Then the Bronx becomes a bankrupt city filled with abandoned buildings. There's poverty. And it's no thanks to the mayor that was, you know, in office during that time. However, throughout this chaos... From the ashes comes this little phoenix. This is a little urban movement known as hip-hop. It began to develop in the Bronx, New York. It focused on emceeing over breakbeats, house parties, and neighborhood block party events held outdoors. So its biggest pioneer was a group called Sugar Hill and Mm. the gang. If you do not know them, stop this episode right now and listen to them, please. Please. That's the only (laughs) excuse we'll take for not listening to us. I know. We'll wait. Hold on. We're just going to wait. 
Welcome back. Uh, right. <laughs> that was a very fast listen. So the origins of West Coast hip hop trace back also to the mid 70s in L.A. We have Alonzo Williams, a young DJ from Compton, California, and he began to DJ parties at various venues in Southern California under the name Disco Construction and the Wrecking Crew. I know. Hold up. Disco Construction's going to throw some beats. I love it. I know. Pop, drop and lock it. All right. (laughs) So 1980s comes in. We see a huge increase of the number of gangs. Mm. All the ideas at this point of the Black Part um, Panther Party, the Brown Berets, even Malcolm X Federation, is completely lost. Is out the door. The gangs were exclusively focused on territory crime and uh, drugs. Mm. So the beginning of the crack epidemic only worsened. In effect, we see cocaine like just being sold uh. like hotcakes. So as the influence of gangs spiraled out of control with the introduction of drugs, you know, circulating in areas of New York, California, even Florida, the early 1990s saw some of the highest homicide rates ever. We even go through a huge, huge moment where we have the LA riots due to the Rodney King beatings. This is all occurring. So it's, there's, it's tension filled in California at this point. But throughout this whole chaos, is that we see another form of music occur. We see the birth of gangsta funk hmm. or G funk with this little group from Compton called NWA. Oh, those old so and sos. Those old so and sos. There's a little movie about it, straight out of Compton. I don't know if you heard it, <laughs> which was a good movie, by the way. I liked oh, it. Oh, so good. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much the history of, you know, how this type of style of music came mm-hmm. about throughout all this chaos in both coasts. Well, I think it's so crazy how big a part the city itself and mm-hmm. all of, especially the Rodney King and O.J. Simpson, all yeah. of those things that we've already talked about, but they really were like active members of the development of this music. I mean, when we say Rodney King, like that's just like a throwaway thing, mm-hmm. but it is like the living, breathing fuel of that time period because people were so angry and rightfully oh, so yeah. it was horrifying what was happening it was horrific and like you said phoenix out of the ashes is the perfect metaphor because it was just such a shit show at the time and it they had one option yeah and throughout all this chaos i mean these individuals nwa nwa mm-hmm. came out with you know straight out of compton yeah. and it just you know took off from there yeah. people had a voice yes. and you know it was them and it was amazing some people disagreed with it, but other people yeah. were like, you know, no, you didn't grow up in this area. You don't understand mm-hmm. what we went through, what we see on a daily basis. So we're going to go and take a little, you know, educational break Ooh. with some music here. Drop some little street knowledge on you. Now, I am a big fan of both West Coast and East Coast. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go over the players and uh, of both West Coast and East Coast and just my opinion on what differentiates between the both of them. So West Coast, you have Dr. Dre, of course. Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Easy e Kendrick Lamar, Cypress Hill, Ice-T, Nate Dogg, Rest in Peace, mm. Exhibit, DJ Quick, Warren G, and The Game. In the East Coast, you also have Notorious B.I.G., Nas, Wu-Tang Clan, A Tribe Called Quest, Run DMC, Queen Latifah, Cool Moe D, Buster Rhymes, Onyx, and DMX. Not to mention, too, um, Tupac's Shakur falls on the category of West Coast because he, you know, adopted the West Coast mm-hmm. and loved it. He even wrote a song about it, To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. 
in my opinion, this is just my opinion, West Coast has G-Funk style. Their mm. lyrics are more abrasive, has more of a hard style nature. The beats are hard hitting as well as the delivery of the rhymes as opposed to the subtlety that is typical of East Coast artists. So you have East Coast music with the deep drum beats and their laid back complemented style with old school influence. Mm. And the artists prefer to ravel their messages within intricately put together lyrics filled with these unique double entendres. Mm. So that's just my yeah. version of what I feel is the, you know, is different the difference between both West Coast mm-hmm. and East Coast. Cool. And if you listen to both Tupac and Biggie, you can follow through like, oh, you know, his beats sound a little more laid back. Where Tupac, he sounds a little more abrasive. Yeah. So yeah. But before we touch on the crime and the deaths of these legendary rap artists, we need to get to know them as people and not just as victims. Where they came from and where their rise to stardom began. So we start with Tupac Shakur. Tupac Amora Shakur was born on June 16, 1971 in East Harlem to a former Black Panther activist, Afini Shakur, who had spent time in jail while pregnant with her son. She chose the name because it meant Shining Serpent in Incan. Hmm. I know, very deep. Mm-hmm. Afini once said in prison, quote, my son is going to save the Black nation, unquote. Tupac grew up in the Bronx, New York, and even though they were poor, Afini made sure her son was bright, well-mannered, and most of all, educated Hmm. if tupac was ever out of line afini would make him read the new york times from front to back and while her son really never enjoyed it it made him very aware of the world around him at such a young age and that was the thing with tupac you know he was very well spoken Mm -hmm. and very well educated every time you see him in an interview on video like he like has fucking great delivery great vernacular and he just like looks you in the eye and mm-hmm. is like very direct. Wow. So growing up, Tupac really didn't have a male influence in his life. His father was barely in and out of the picture being in jail. His godfather was convicted murderer Geronimo Pratt, who was serving life in California. Closest to a father figure to young Tupac was Afini's former lover, a, na- a man nicknamed Legs. Was he, he was a small-time drug runner and dealer for a Harlem drug lord with a nickname like that. Of yeah. course, I mean, runner. Why yeah, not? Right. Legs. Wow. Very. <clears throat> really on the nose. I know. There. On the nose. Sir, I know. <laughs> so money was tough, and Afini struggled to find work. However, education was priority. And while living in Baltimore, Afini placed Tupac in Baltimore School of the Arts. But before then, she even enrolled Tupac in the Harlem Theater Troupe, where he started. he starred in a play, a Raisin in the Sun Ooh. at the age of 13. And that performance was held at the Apollo Theater. Whoa. So he was bitten by the acting bug at the age of 13, and it became his refuge. He even stated in an earlier interview, through acting, I could become somebody. The streets were too much for Tupac and his sister, so Afini sent both of them away to stay with a friend in Marin County, California over the summer. You see, Afini was hiding the fact that she was a crack addict. Mm. And she hid it for a very long time, but it didn't take too long for young Tupac to find out. When he found out him and Afini had a huge falling out, he ends up moving out while still attending high school. But he ends up living in an abandoned apartment complex with a few boys and he starts to write poetry and deliver pizzas. But um, he still attended high school. He was still chasing girls, writing poetry, but the money wasn't coming in. Mm-hmm. So he takes on a different venture. He decides, 
I'm going to go ahead and sell crack cocaine. Hmm. So he sees a lot of profit in that, but he realizes instantly that this is something that he doesn't want permanently in his life. Mm -hmm. So he continues to go to school, but at the last minute he drops out. He's like two months away from graduating. Whoa. He's two months away and he decides, no, I'm going to drop out. No. I'm going to go to L.A. He goes to Los Angeles due to an invitation of his mother's friends where he briefly worked in youth groups. He liked working with the youth groups, but he didn't like the politics involved. So mm. he quits and decides to write music. He pursues a career in music, and there he meets up a group by the name Digital Underground or DU. Whoa. Bryce, do you know any of their songs? No, I just recognize the name. Okay. I just love um, that, like, I want to start writing music. Here, Digital Underground. underground. Oh, Done. Okay. <laughs> Great. They, uh, their claim to fame was the song, Do the Humpty Dance. Do the hump, do the hump, do the mm-hmm. Do you remember? I do know that song. I would not have known that. that too. <laughs> I'm terrible at this. You're not that white. <laughs> I played the, I play this game where people are like, "What? Uh, would you know this song?" I'm like, uh, "You don't understand. I was not allowed to listen to music until I was out of college. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, the first, I think, hip hop that I ever heard, I was at least 23. Stop it. I I cannot. I'm gonna have to make you a playlist. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> Introduction to hip hop and rap. <laughs> now, if you want to talk about Amy Grant and her oh Christian music career, then yes, I am your guy. But oh, I've been yeah, there. Yeah. I've, I've I've heard yeah, some yeah. of her songs. So I have heard of that song, The Humpty right. Dance. I I would not have known that that was who it was by. Yeah, so it was by the Digital Underground, and Tupac Shakur was a part of that group. So he is signed on the spot with them. Nice. They um he starts. He starts off as this. He starts as a roadie and then a backup dancer. And then he decides to ask them, hey, give me a chance on the mic. They're like, okay. So at a concert, he gets on stage. He drops some lyrics. And his presence is instantly, like, recognized. And the talent that he had, it just got him noticed immediately. So he continues to record tunes. He finally had enough for an album. He begins working to on getting his music released, but one of the problems that Tupac faced was the sterilized, happy rap that DU was putting out. Mm. Gangster rap was coming on the scene, of course, with artists such as N.W.A. making a huge impact in the music community. Mm. Before Tupac restyled himself for the rap scene, he was casted in the film called Juice. Director and producer Neil Moritz once said that Tupac will be a big star within the next 10 years. However, Tupac's response to that was, in 10 years, I'm not even going to be alive. (gasps) So he already knew. Eventually, Tupac Shakur became a household name by producing several albums such as Tupacalypse. Now, strictly for my, I'm not going to say it because it's a little, it's a little bad. Mm. <clears throat> so, All Eyes on Me, Me Against the World, and my personal favorite, Don Caluminati and The Seven Day Theory. It's one of my favorite albums mm-hmm. of his. In the midst of all his fame, he eventually meets a six foot three, 300 50 pound of a mountain of a man by the name of Marion Shug Knight. Oh. You read Harry Potter, right? Yeah. He's like the Voldemort of the rap world. Really <laughs> He's is. really no bueno. No. He's really n- not good. No. He's not good at all. So then that transitions me into Christopher Wallace, which is Biggie Small. So mm. a little rundown on Christopher here. Christopher Wallace was born in Brooklyn, New York, May 21st, 1972, as the only child of Voletta Wallace, a Jamaican preschool teacher, and Solon George Latour, a Jamaican welder and 
politician. His father left the family when Wallace was only two years old and his mother worked two jobs while raising him. He grew up in Bedford, Stuyvesant neighborhood, surrounded by drug dealers and gangs. It didn't take long before Wallace was in a gang. So already these two individuals, you know, mm. they didn't grow up with a father figure. They mm. were, I mean, it was a really unstable household. And their mothers were, you know, too, either too busy working sure. or raising children. And it was just too much for them. So Wallace received a nickname, Biggie Smalls, because he was the biggest one in his gang. Uh-huh. In an interview, he was asked, who were your heroes growing up? His response were, was, hustlers were my heroes during his early years. So Biggie was pretty bright. He excelled in school. He ends up transferring from Bishop Longland Memorial High School to attend George Westinghouse Career and Technical Educational High School with future rappers DMX, Jay-Z, and Busta Rhymes. They also attended there at the time, and according to his mother, Wallace was still a good student, but he developed a smart-ass attitude Mm -hmm. at the new school. Wallace was 17. He became a drug dealer. Uh, during a drop, he was arrested and given nine months and then was later released. But in jail, it, it's it's the place where Biggie started to record and write his own songs. So he eventually um, asks a friend to borrow a four-track tape recorder. So this is after he is let out of jail, and he begins to record demos in his basement where he lived. He was still dealing drugs in order to support his daughter, Tiana, from a long-term girlfriend back Back in the day. So, mm. but once Biggie had good sampling of his music, he began to distribute the tapes to local radio stations where his music was played on on the radio and came to the notice of a young upcoming music producer by the name of Sean Puff Daddy Combs. Oof. I know. So it was Sean Puffy Combs that gave Christopher Wallace the nickname, the notorious B.I.G. Because like I said before, I mean, once you're famous, you need more than one. Yeah. <laughs> so Sean Puffy Combs worked with Wallace on covers of Mary J. Blige, Real Love and What's the 411 alongside a very popular single, Party and Bullshit, that was featured on the film soundtrack, Who's the Man? Notorious B.I.G. now on the road to stardom with Puffy Combs at the helm of his debut album, Ready to Die, uh, under the Bad Boy label. So he was under the label with Sean Combs, Bad Boy, Mm -hmm. and Suge Knight was under Death Row. Mm. But Suge Knight was also trying to get Tupac to sign. But Mm -hmm. Tupac was like, "Mm, no, I'm going to stay here. So everything was perfect and on track for Biggie. However, on August 4th, 1994, Wallace married R&B singer Faith Evans after they met at a bad boy photo shoot. Five days later, Wallace had his first pop chart success as a solo artist with a double A side, Juicy Unbelievable. Big eventually wins Best New Artist and Rap Performer, as well as Lyricist of the Year, all within the same year. Biggie's lifestyle was changing, and the one thing that didn't change was his desire to help friends and his ability to not forget where he came from. Biggie always remembered the hard streets and those who Mm. helped him out, especially during his troubled times. Now, it was during his troubled times that he met another hip-hop star who would forever be linked to better or for ill, and that is Tupac Shakur. Mm-hmm. So real quickly, we're going to go into their friendship. Now, according to Medium.com writer Eric Donaldson, he writes, their friendship begins in 1993. Biggie would meet Tupac on set of Poetic Justice in Los Angeles. Now, during this encounter, it's been reported that Pac was playing party and bullshit over and over again on the set, which was 
flattering to Biggie. Aww. So it was his first single, and Pac was already an established name. Biggie Smalls was like, oh my God, this guy loves my single. The two hang out at Pac's home, also in LA, and they just shoot the shit, they smoke. Uh, Wallace even says, I always thought it would be, it, it was like a Gemini thing, Biggie said to Vibe magazine. We just clicked off the top and we were cool ever since. So Pac was pretty much Biggie's mentor wow. since Tupac was giving Biggie, you know, advice for being, you know, more of an experienced rapper mm -hmm. at the time. So he was, you know, pretty much his Yoda, just kind of <laughs> maneuvering him throughout this industry. The advice would one day come back to haunt Tupac, though. Oh. At the same time, Suge Knight was busy trying to get Tupac to sign with Death Row, but so far he wasn't able to get Tupac to sign with him. So Tupac was trying to live it up or down, depending on your viewpoint on <laughs> his, you know, gangster reputation. Sure. He had been in and out of trouble with the law for quite some time, and it came to a bullying point with sodomy, rape, and even weapons possession charges that sent his ass to court. So it started when a 19-year-old girl said that she had sex with Tupac and then was later assaulted the next day by members of his entourage mm. in his hotel room while Tupac was passed out in the room next door. While awaiting the New York um, trial, Tupac received an anonymous text from a number to come down to Quad Studios in Times Square to record another track. So the studio was going to pay him $7,000 and Tupac was desperate since he needed money due to the trial. Oh, there man. were fees, there was attorney mm -hmm. fees, everything. So he gladly accepted and agreed upon it even though he had no idea who sent him the message. Oh. He went to Quad Studios with his companions. They paged the intercom outside and they were relieved to hear a familiar voice that, recognized, that they recognized over the speaker, they thought, oh, it's probably an associate of, you know, Biggie. So they figured it must have been, you know, one of his friends or manager. Maybe, you know, Sean Puffy Combs. Maybe it was him that sent the message. Mm -hmm. Tupac and his entourage walked into the building. They approached the elevator and right then and there, right when they were about to press that button, two young black men appeared with pistols. And one called out, don't no one move everyone hit the floor. Tupac no. stands his ground as his friends drop to the floor. When the two gunmen saw Tupac still standing, one of them said, shoot that motherfucker. Five shots rang <sighs> out and Tupac was hit in the head, hand, and testicle. Oh my God. Ouch. Yeah, I know. <sighs> that is not a good way to spend a studio session. I know. Imagine like being shot in the boob. Like to me, I'm like, I feel like that would be the pain of being shot in the testicle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's so so much for your, you know, studio oh session. Oh my God, <laughs> that sounds terrifying. So the gunman robbed Tupac and grabbed as much of his jewelry and money as they could. They run out the door as Tupac was being loaded into the ambulance. Biggie Smalls and Sean Puffy Combs finally exited and graced everyone with their presence. Oh my God. As they were leaving the elevator. When Tupac saw them, he flipped them off while mouthing the words, fuck you. Tupac was then convinced that Biggie Smalls and Sean Puffy Combs had planned a sabotage on him. His immediate thought was that they wanted to rob him and kill him. Oh now, God. the biggest question is, why? Mm. Competition. Some claim Biggie wanted to be number one and the king of hip-hop. It was no spot for two people. He wow. wanted it. Soon, Tupac spends one and a half to four and a half years in prison. After he goes through the trial... 
he is still bandaged up. Mm -hmm. He's in a wheelchair at this time trying to recover. And uh, while in prison, he finally makes a deal with the devil or Voldemort. Suge Knight, you know, comes to visit Mm -hmm. him with the lawyer and they sign the agreement. So this segues us into the media and how it interfered with this whole beef between the Mm -hmm. East Coast and West Coast. And then we'll go into the deaths, unfortunately. Spoilers. I know, spoilers. (laughs) I mean, you have... Like, you know, some thoughts of how the media interfered with this whole entire beef. Mm, like, what mm-hmm. was your thought on it? Well, I all it's like an overarching kind of umbrella thought mm-hmm. in that I think we could all point to examples of when the media wants to sell stories. Yeah. A good way to do that is to sensationalize things or to aggrandize things or to carry things out longer maybe or you know what I mean I think at the end of the day Mm -hmm. when we live now in an entertainment news era where yeah you want to get the news you want to get the facts journalistic integrity right those are still true and I think we see examples of that um but at the end of the day subscription and viewership and profit matter if not more than at the very least equally, I think more, but definitely equally to the truth. And so I think in this case in particular, what sells really good newspapers, an East versus West feud. You, It's already built in, like you were saying, with mm-hmm. the baseball rivalry, the gang rivalry, just in general, there's like pizza rivalry. Like <laughs> every big city, like Chicago, New York, New York, LA, all of them kind of jab at each other and so i think it's built in what sells more papers adding fuel to the fire of the biggie tupac rivalry you know what i mean yes so i think it seems very odd that they were such good friends and then so quickly such like staunch enemies i wonder how much of that was true and how much of that was like blown out of proportion i don't think they got along very well right but hmm. I don't know. I felt like they did get along pretty well. It's kind of like that high school feud mm. where you have like, you know, two friends. They're really good friends. And, you know, one goes off to hang out with the popular crowd and yep. the other one's left behind mm-hmm. and goes off and to to make friends with the other, you know, crowd. And then all of a sudden there's all these rumors of he said, yeah. she said. And yeah. to me, yeah, I felt like the media had a lot of influence between mm. this, like the both of them. And second, the people that they're around just yes. dropping all this stuff in their ears. Their entourages were the worst human beings on the <laughs> no. planet, in my opinion. Oh, the entourages are the worst. Mm-hmm. I feel like that whole case, the the rape case, mm-hmm. I know that they had something to do with oh that. My God, I don't think, horrifying. in my opinion, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he did something to this girl or if it was just the entourage. But I remember even when I worked in my glamorous days of retail, Mm -hmm. um, when I was working at the Beverly Center in Beverly Hills, there was this huge A-list star that came in um, into women's ready wear. And she had like a group of entourage, her entourage with her. They were loud, obnoxious, Mm -hmm. and rude. Absolutely rude. Oh, the entourage, in my experience, they're always the worst. Yes. I've never met, like, oh, that group of friends is really nice. I'm like, 
Ugh, they no. are leeches. They are. They're entitled. That's all they were. They were just They leeches. are the ones, You sometimes, like, right, you hear these stories of, like, mm-hmm. celebrities being crazy or whatever. But in my experience, it's the people around, around them, them riding were... the coattails that are the most entitled, that are the rudest, because mm-hmm. they haven't done anything. Yeah. Usually the celebrity, they've worked. They're the product, if mm-hmm. you will. So they're still doing the actual thing that they love. And then they bring people with them, and they're not doing anything, and they're entitled, and they're mean because of, it's the worst. It don't is. be that person. If you're in an entourage, get out. Don't be. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. I don't it's know. not benefiting you, trust me. Or if you need someone in your entourage to be entitled and mean, I will do that for you. <laughs> Whichever you need, it's fine. Bryce would do a really good job. I'm so good at being entitled. Because he's graceful as fuck. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, according to um, 2fab.com, mm-hmm. Unsolved stars Dominic Santana and Waze Jones, who portray Tupac and Biggie mm-hmm. in the USA uh, series, uh, they stated there is no, there was no East Coast versus West Coast until the media got involved. Mm. It was people at Bad Boy and people at Death Row who had issues with each other. And then the media seized in on it, Santana told 2Fab. Then other people at home watching got involved. And it's like, well, screw the East Coast. And then they were like, well, screw the West Coast. And the media was like, yeah, flick, freaking ratings. Mm-hmm. Jonas echoed his co-star's sentiment, adding, the media played a big part in it because they just seen what they seen. And they just said, well, this is something good to report on. And they just went out and made a big scene about something. He further goes on to say that he believes the individuals involved could have let cooler heads prevail if they had given it a chance. They could have came together and they could have squashed that whole thing. But it was just too blown out of proportion to where they never had the opportunity, he quotes. Hmm. So um, this beef does continue. It just continues on to 1996. In June of 96, Shakur released Hit Him Up, a diss song in which he claimed to have had sex with Biggie's wife at the time estranged. This is uh, Faith uh, Evans and that Wallace copied his style and image. Wallace referred to the first claim about his wife's pregnancy on JC's um, Brooklyn's Finest, where he raps, if Faye, Faith Evans, his wife at the time, has twins, she probably have two pox. Get it? Like two pox. However, Wallace did not directly respond to the record during his lifetime, stating in uh, a 1997 radio interview that was uh, not his style to his response. Wow. Yeah. Kind of crazy. That's so awkward. It's very, very awkward. And I remember uh, yesterday sitting here with my husband mm-hmm. while it was raining. Because in LA, when it rains, you just stay indoors because the yeah. whole city is we will um, melt or it's, fall into it's a mudslide. Shut down. It hits the worst. <laughs> so we were just like binge watching YouTube videos, music yep. videos. We were watching a bunch of Tupac videos. There were some Tupac videos where they had an actor portray Biggie. Whoa. And he's just dissing him in the video. It's insane. They, I feel like. There is still some of that, but, like, that era in music especially was very, like, if you're doing something that is, A, a personal offense to me, or, B, that I find, like, kind of reprehensible, prepare to be in a song or prepare to be in a music video because, like, that was their... And, you know, we still sort of see that sometimes with Mm -hmm. these, like, feuds and Twitter, but it's so watered down comparatively. Yeah. I mean... Those early, like, blasts, essentially, were so 
brutal. Just like, oh, this entire song is about, about you. you. This entire now video it's like, this is about you. This tweet is about you. Like, okay, yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> Thanks. I'll see you in 140 characters. Like, bye. <laughs> but like a whole song, like on live TV, like mm-hmm. or radio or whatever. You know what I mean? Just so pointed. And uh, you know, we're talking about these genius level wordsmiths. Yeah. Fire. Just insane. It was. It's. It was. It's very insane. It's. I mean. But you you also have to understand too, Tupac. I believe he was twenty five, mm-hmm. twenty four, twenty five, and Biggie. I mean, they were all in their mid twenties. They were uh, yeah. kids. They were kids. You know, they were kids that were fighting against mm-hmm. one another. No one wanted to like drop the flag and you know call it truth. Sure. They had other people that you know pretty much, you know, slipped a lot of words into their ears. Sure. A lot of words. A lot of money. Crystal, Hennessy, <laughs> a lot of crystal. I know. Oh, yeah, no. I hate when that happens. All right, so the beef continues, mm-hmm. and it continues some more, and then all of a sudden we hit tragedy. Yes. So let's just transition right in. Yeah. Uh, so Tupac was the first victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, in September of '96, he was in Vegas with none other than <laughs> our good friend Suge Knight. Voldemort. Voldemort. You know. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to, like, hang out with Voldemort. Uh, so he and Suge Knight and their group of friends, their whatever, a lot of the people from the record and, yeah. like, their entourage are in Vegas. And they go and see a pretty big boxing fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Mike Tyson and uh, Bruce Seldon. Yeah. Which at the time was, like, the fight, essentially. Um, and it was a fight that lasted like seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, let's do a different boxing podcast because that's a whole, whole different. Every time I'm like, boxing? Oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was like, you know, how those title fights are. Yeah. And after they see essentially someone that they have a lot of beef with, mm-hmm. uh, Orlando Anderson. Right. And they essentially jump him. And Tupac specifically attacks him and, like, punches him. And they're, like, yelling and they're fighting. And that is sort of the first domino in the series of the rest of the night. And so that fight is actually caught. There's, like, hotel surveillance footage oh, yeah. of the fight. And it's, like, pretty violent. It's very violent because, one, they see the guy who, I guess, Anderson it was all due to like robbed or stolen jewelry. Right. And um, these guys, testosterone, mm-hmm. masculinity, they're coming from a fight. You just saw the fight. They're all, yeah. Their adrenaline is all pumping. They're like, ooh, we're, we we got to continue this fight. Yeah. And he was allegedly, uh, Orlando Anderson was allegedly uh, a gang member mm-hmm. from Compton. So this is like, again, somewhat related yeah gang related like again all of this is interwoven so you really can't separate the music from the violence from the gang like it's all this like big conglomerate of like existence basically so they've beaten him up uh my favorite is that in the wikipedia article it's like they beat him up in a footlocker like of all the places (laughs) not a footlocker is nothing sacred i love it well, just a little snippet. Oh, Wikipedia. Some color commentary there. <laughs> um, and so then they return to the club, uh, the 662, or Club 662, uh, which essentially was like their home base in Vegas, basically. Yeah. It's like a reservation-only front, more or less. Right. Um, so they 
went to they were headed back and the traffic essentially which is such a silly thing to get stuck for was terrible getting away from the fight just everyone's in the street trying to get to the next party or whatever yeah and so their entourage gets pulled over they don't have any like license plates displayed they have them in the car though so they're let through it's just like this sort of weird series of like they're stopped then they're stuck in traffic then a traffic light goes out they can't get through so this like convoy Mm -hmm. of like four or five cars can't even get through the city essentially Mm -hmm. which then becomes their death trap because there's cars that are able to pull up and they're leaning out the windows they're talking to women that are passing inviting them to the club Mm -hmm. uh tupac allegedly specifically is like out the sunroof like all of these things which like in hindsight you're reading you're just like oh no you're like setting yourself up up. i know but like why would you think anything of that and so one of the cars that pulls up then opens fire and so this is the thing is that it's 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 all normal until it's not. Mm-hmm. And so there's cars pulling up. They're screaming, cheering, like excited to see Tupac. Yeah. All of that. And then the car pulls up and opens fire. And Tupac is hit five times, I believe, uh, in the chest, in the thigh. One punctures his lung. And oh, then the car itself gets flat tires. Yeah. And Suge Knight is actually also injured, but he's driving the car and is able to drive Tupac to the hospital. Yeah. So this then starts the sort of whirlwind of not only speculation, but chaos because there's so like little that's being done. Uh, and that sort of starts the like, well, why wasn't like, why weren't they searching for the gunman immediately? Why wasn't Tupac rushed to the hospital by like an ambulance? Why didn't they call the police right away? All these things that like all it, these questions, yeah, all these were questions in hindsight. But at the time, there's no real thought I think behind it. I mean, that's just purely my speculation. But that shock takes over, and you're like we got to get to the hospital. Yeah, it's pure adrenaline. Yeah. First, they got off a, of a fight, and then. Tupac gets shot. I mean, yes. you don't know where your mind is. You're just like trying to figure out, okay, how do I get him to safety? What do I do? And here's like the crazy part. Obviously, this comes out much, much later. So we're going to jump ahead and then we're going to come back. Yes. But the person who allegedly shot them is Orlando Anderson. So the person that they beat up is now getting revenge, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. He ends up being the gunman. Mm-hmm. They don't know that at the time. He actually ends up not even being one of the main suspects because the police question him for like a laughably short amount of time and yeah. let him go. He then like confesses years later after like way knows, after the statute facts. of limitations or whatever it ends up being. Yeah. But at the time, it's like, oh, did you do it? No. no. Okay, bye. Like, great. Good no, for you. That was great. It was like a, like a great five minutes. Insane <laughs> to me. Like, especially like he's on footage being. He has, like, the motive, and they don't keep him for They just ignore it. Okay, so my commentary and police work aside. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he does. Uh, Tupac is taken to the hospital, mm-hmm. and he actually doesn't – it's not like he dies right away. They have to sedate him and put him in a coma oh my because God. he keeps trying to get up because he's so angry. Yeah, it's like he's still moving. He, he, he wasn't killed instantly. No, which is crazy. They had to remove – 
a large chunk of his lung and he was still trying to get out oh of bed. Gosh. He like is so fueled by the like anger and yeah. the revenge. So they end up putting him in a medically induced coma just to keep him in bed. Now part two of the speculation. Why keep him in a coma? Who like who, who on, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All these things like, well, if he was like well enough to be getting out of bed why would you need to put him in a coma like all of these things that are just outside of like quote normal protocol but Mm -hmm. like literally he had to stay in bed and he wouldn't so all that to say he ends up dying uh spoiler again my bad um (laughs) because of an let me see if i can find it i wrote it down somewhere uh because it's not from the bullet wounds technically um, well, I'm never going to be able to find it, but he essentially dies from like medical complications. Yeah. Like he, five days later. Five days later, he, his body just like gives up. Yes. I think his body was just trying to recover and it just gives up. Let's see. His body was, it was, he was claimed to be, it was cremated. Yes. Members of his old band outlaws made a controversial claim that they even smoked <laughs> some of his freaking ashes. Suppose, allegedly. <laughs> In honor they of him. They <laughs> mixed his ashes with marijuana and smoked it. Uh, Jesus Christ. But then I think it came out later that it wasn't actually his ashes or something. Good. <laughs> it's still very creepy. Don't smoke your friends. Like if there's one there's takeaway like the from this. chemicals in there. I just could yeah. imagine. Don't, don't smoke your rap legends that's i think don't the smoke takeaway. your friends smoke them out but don't smoke your yeah, friends that's that's <laughs> the takeaway um so then this again starts the sort of speculations even though shook knight was in the car there's a lot of speculation he's under a lot of pressure there's a lot of uh people that were saying that tupac was trying to get off of his label essentially. yeah he was trying to break contract and he was like nope but he yeah. was noticing too like money was not coming in mm-hmm. Shook knight kept his money mm-hmm. i think he even fired like tupac fired his uh, attorney mm-hmm. and yes lord knows how that could have like really ticked him off yeah so all of those things this is like essentially seen as an isolated incident super tragic everyone's like in shock because again like you said right. they're children i mean yeah Tupac is 25 at this point. Like, it, to be that on top of his game and then so brutally murdered is, like, so shocking. Everyone is, like, not able to process it. So in this sort of, like, chaos, Biggie is sort of accused. People almost immediately start saying, this has to be Biggie. There's such a feud between them. Right. There's such a beef between them. So essentially, Suge and the Notorious B.I.G. are like the two main subs. Main yeah, suspects. it's like it too Biggie or it too Suge. <laughs> yes. So uh, uh, Sean Combs, I, I'm doing this thing. Sorry, I keep like mm-hmm. looking at you and like blanking because I'm doing this <laughs> thing where their rap name and their real name are flashing across my. Like, there's a lot of names remember so names in this industry you have yeah. more than one i need a chart essentially <laughs> um so i was getting ready to say puffy and then sean combs and p diddy which is all the same person um <laughs> again have i mentioned how white i am i You're think very that's white. yeah it's, the thing. it's very white um so he actually produces documents that in essence exonerate uh biggie because he was not he was recording essentially and there's he records. had an alibi he had an alibi exactly yeah um, there's some question as to how legal those documents are. There's no date stamp. There's no time stamp. Right. They could have been produced at any time. 
there were witnesses, but they were questionable. They were all like members of his family. Mm-hmm. So there is still some speculation, but uh, Biggie is essentially no longer the lead witness mm-hmm. because of these documents that Sean Combs produces. Mm-hmm. So again, people really want there to be a feud. Want it? I think yes. That it was Biggie because that's like the perfect Shakespearean. Oh yeah. Feud is like that. He killed him. Technically, he's exonerated. So mm-hmm. they're just allegations at that point. And then we flash forward to March 9th, oh. the next year. A mere six months later. Yeah. And we're in this beautiful city of Los Angeles. Right. And the notorious B.I.G. is also murdered. He's gunned down. Gunned down. Same way. In almost an identical way, which is just so crazy to me. But they are in Hollywood, essentially doing a promo tour for their uh, upcoming album. Mm -hmm. And they are leaving for an after party. They were, uh, that was being hosted by Vibe, which we've already mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, which is such a, you know, important like part of the story is because they were so on the pulse of like everything that was happening. Yeah. So they're headed to this uh, party. And again, the traffic is terrible. They are being stopped. They can't get through. Again, an entourage of cars. It's a mess. It's, it's the same these, mess. Yeah. It's the exact it's same so thing. It's so odd how it parallels. Yes. And um, one of the uh, bodyguards who is supposed to be sort of in charge of like his security uh-huh. is actually having to drive a separate car because they wanted another car in case they wanted to bring people with them to the hotel Mm -hmm. so again it's just these like one degree outside of normal protocol Mm -hmm. and in hindsight it's like oh what are you doing like why did you do that but at the time it's just normal until it's one night where things are not going as planned or should be going as planned this happens so again almost the exact same situation they're sitting in the suv entourage they're stopped on wilshire and a car pulls up and this time uh they the shooter's not known so there's no flash forward in this one Mm -hmm. it shoots again and biggie dies um and they try and save him he was hit four times um and they rush him to cedar sinai and they perform and he's uh pronounced dead that same day so he doesn't have quite the same longevity as yeah it it wasn't quite as uh unsure it was pretty quick after that that he was pronounced dead uh later that next morning Mm -hmm. um and so the uh sorry what was i gonna say oh and so this basically again i I keep bringing it up but this is now the next domino of people like wait a minute this is too similar yeah why does this feel so familiar weren't we just here six months ago how is this the same exact thing and instantly people think of shagnay because it's too similar and the main sort of concern is that because Biggie was exonerated in Tupac's death, a lot of the heat shifted to Suge Knight. And what uh, one of the main theories of that is that in order to get the heat off of him, he had Biggie killed. Yes. So then it's this big web conspiracy right there of like prob like the main theory is that Suge was mad at Tupac. Mm-hmm. That he wanted off the record label. Mm-hmm. Suge Knight has a history of violence. Oh, he's yes. the worst person. If he's listening to this podcast from prison, please don't kill me. <laughs> um, but he, so then the 
the sort of rumor mill that starts is that he allegedly killed Tupac, and to get the heat off of him, he had Biggie killed in the same way. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way to trace it, he essentially hired, like, gang members right. to gun them down. That was the thing about Suge that I, I definitely want to press on. Mm. Um, you see, because it starts with Pac's demise, it sets in July 96 when a crew, like I said before, snatched mm-hmm. a death row pendant from a blood named Trevon Lane in a Lakewood mall mm-hmm. in Compton. So there's this huge fight. Two months later, Trey was with T- um, Tupac and Suge at a Mike Tyson fight, and then the shots ring out. Tupac is um, then killed. And it's all because of this jewelry. It's all because of this little mm-hmm. piece of jewelry. That's, in my opinion, that's what started it. Mm-hmm. But according to a May 1997 issue of Vibe magazine and a story by Rob Marriott, mm-hmm. the report detailed of how Tupac slaying Bludge launched a full-out war in Compton's Crips. Shug's henchmen told other Bloods that Tupac's killer was Keith D's nephew. According to Compton police affidavits, when the bullets stopped flying, 13 gangsters had been shot and three were fatally passed. So... Already, there's more people dying because of yeah. this, you know, of his death. Now, there are no easy answers to the myriad of questions surrounding Tupac's death. Marriott wrote after mm-hmm. the harrowing, harrowing experience reporting from the streets of Gangland, Compton. But it has become clear that the streets of, of Compton were controlled primarily by mm-hmm. Suge Knight. And according to writer Jesse Washington of the undefeated.com, Washington states that the web was real. At the center was the tarantula Shook Knight, who, mm. according to evidence in books such as Murder Rap and Labyrinth by Randall Smith, no, Sullivan, mm. ran death row like a mafia boss. And it's Ooh. true. Shook Knight was the Mickey Cohen of the 90s yes. and early 2000s he had gangs under his payroll he had la crooked lapd cops under his payroll if you really really guys if you really want to get involved in this case and learn more read murder rap read Mm -hmm. labyrinth it's spelled like la brennanth but those are the two Mm -hmm. best books i've come across because they really take you to the dark underbelly of la of crooks, mm-hmm. gangs, well, and everything. that's the thing that's so crazy is that specifically, mm-hmm. like both are pretty poorly handled. Yeah, but with the murder of Biggie, yeah, there's almost no investigation. There's none. It's so mishandled by the police. It it's is so questionable their actions. And the then reason you, why yeah. it's mishandled, it's because. Um, based on um, Labyrinth, the main reason they never solved his case is because politicians didn't want to. Mm-hmm. They said the powers that be had um, had to let them know that the city didn't want another OJ-style circus. And so here we are again. Media. You know, is they didn't want a media circus once more. Once more, like we're in this thing where LA is on... <laughs> essentially, we're always on the verge of a riot. Like, yeah. it's just so crazy. But they're... The fear of that happening again is so real. And like the palpable and demonstrable ways that the city tried to avert a repeat of the Rodney King riots is so crazy. And then with the O.J. Simpson and it became such a circus constantly 
and I think this is such a silly tangent, but they do a really good job of showing that in the People vs. O.J. Simpson. Oh, oh, 100%. terrified they are. 100%. Of riots happening again. I mean, it's Regardless, so, it happened. Uh, yes, yeah. and it did. And so now here we are twice removed, and they're fearful of the riots, they're fearful of the media circus, and mm-hmm. they really just paved this over. No, we're not going to dig into that. We just want to move past it because they don't want to deal with that in case they have a repeat. It's true. So it's just completely neglected, essentially. It is. And it's so sad because, I mean, there are several lives lost. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just like Tupac and Biggie. Mm-hmm. Other people lost their lives. Other gang yeah. members lost their lives, but they're still lives. Mm-hmm. Um, another second theory, this is what I heard. Uh, believe it or not, uh, Biggie's writer die BFF, Sean Diddy Combs, was also tr- suggested as one of the people behind his death. The theory behind Diddy being responsible for his best friend's death is that as the head of the record label, Bad Boy Entertainment, he wanted Big's upcoming record sales to skyrocket. As reported by Business Insider in March 2017, the report also claims that even Big's mom, Violetta Wallace, believes that Diddy might have been involved somehow. I believe in one of my theories, this is one of my theories about him. I believe Suge Knight was the perfect playwright and this was Mm. his play. He wanted to control everything. Mm -hmm. He wanted to control Tupac and, you know, probably off him and off Biggie. Maybe he conspired something with Sean Combs because, I mean, if you think about it, how come Sean Puffy Combs wasn't, you know, one of the targets Mm -hmm. too? Yeah. It, It seemed like he was kind of like on the sides and that's, that is the one thing too is i think where the suge knight theory falls apart a little bit mm-hmm. is like logically like what are you gonna you're gonna hire someone to shoot up a car that, that you're, you're in. in and that's what my husband brought up he's like why would he put his life on the line that way but it's suge he's crazy he's very crazy he is what my mom would call a crazy and know? i think too there was so much chaos happening that hypothetically he thought he wouldn't be in that car mm-hmm. it's hard to say because a snake will always act like a snake mm-hmm. so you're like well maybe he didn't know or maybe he wasn't doing it but it's just you can't no. really expunge his his tendencies you yeah. know what i mean so it's like i don't know maybe he would put himself in the car to look innocent like who knows who how knows? far crazy. he was willing like he to would, go yeah i felt like he really goes far look at us just wildly speculating i know <laughs> <laughs> well i was telling you before too you know how like fucking shady he is mm-hmm. there was this um interview with jimmy kimmel mm-hmm. it's on youtube guys i'll see if i could put it on our show notes it's insane suge knight is one of the guests mm-hmm. he sits down they have a little icebreaker and then i think jimmy kimmel asks him something about like who killed Tupac mm-hmm. who do you think killed killed Biggie and he's like well you know you know some of the speculations say that I was involved but you know uh, I there are different ways of killing a person and Jimmy goes on to ask him oh really what like what are the ways oh silent ways you know injection with AIDS we all know that Eazy died of AIDS right I was like oh shut shut up yeah that's insane <laughs> it was it was cr- like Jimmy Kimmel like if you wanted to see Jimmy Kimmel sweat, mm-hmm. that was the episode. Like, what do I do with my hands? Mm-hmm. What, do I, what do I, He was looking at the camera, smiling, laughing, nervously. Mm-hmm. Insane. But for him to say something like that. Well, it just goes to show how untouchable was, he felt. Oh, yeah. Like, I can say this. I can, in essence, confess, if not to a murder, to the knowledge of how murders were committed. And he's untouchable. In, not completely because he's in prison now, but... Mm-hmm. 
that's his mindset, clearly. Yeah. Not only that, he refused to give Afeni, Tupac's mother, any of the royalties of his mm-hmm. of his songs or anything. And I know she tried to take him to court as well. But, I mean, it's still a mystery to a lot of people. But, I mean, what are your final thoughts of it? Like, the whole thing. Well, so then that's the other thing, is that mm-hmm. a lot of people, because of back to Don't Smoke Your Friends, <laughs> uh, once it was revealed that the ashes were not Tupac's that mm-hmm. they smoked, then this other theory starts that he actually never died, that Tupac was still alive, is still alive. Oh, my God. He yeah. is still alive. He faked his death. He's yeah. living in Cuba. I think, were you the one that showed me Kim Kardashian? Kim Kardashian, <laughs> like, posted something in 2012, 2013, that she swore that it was Tupac working at a bank. It's like, it's it, it's like he flashed before my eyes, like many of my marriages. They just oh flash before my eyes. Bless. So, I <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that I would go that far. I think he did die. I think <laughs> he's not alive. No, he died. Uh, but I think, hmm, what are my final thoughts? This is a hard one because it's such a sticky web of like police, either corruption and negligence. And yeah. then like this weird feud. My guess is that, if Suge Knight wasn't the perpetrator, he at least had some kind of knowledge of what was going on. Mm-hmm. I think he took anything that he perceived as an insult incredibly personally. So oh, yeah. I think the fact that Tupac had come to his label because Suge offered to pay his bail yeah. and then wanted out, I think he, yes, would have taken that incredibly personally. Do I think that... He is the only one involved? No. Do I think that he definitely was a major player? Yes, 100%. Yeah. He was the playwright that led the play, in my opinion. I mean, my final thoughts is Tupac. This whole thing started out with stolen jewelry. Tupac Mm -hmm. beat up a killer Mm -hmm. who then killed him all over a piece of jewelry. Mm -hmm. Tupac chose to live and die by the rules of thug life. And if you remember it from the movie All Eyes on Me... You know, the acronym for thug is the hate you give. Hmm. And, you know, I think one of my best friends, he put it so well, Thomas DeLeon, if you're listening, I'm giving you a little shout out because him and I were talking about it too earlier and he put it so well. He he says, you know, he preached brotherhood camaraderie, camaraderie, but he was also quick to glorify the thug life. Hmm. His music was a reflection of his struggles growing up and overcoming the odds. But, you know he acted like a thug Mm. and like he said before you know through acting i could be someone Mm -hmm. and he chose to be a thug Mm. he chose to portray the the you know thug gang life Mm. and with biggie's death i feel like it was a bit of a conspiracy yeah i felt that many people were involved in that of the two that one definitely is that one is a little more that one's murky that one's very very murky in my opinion so I mean, it's still an ongoing process. Sure. Um, unfortunately, in May of 2016, Afini Shakur passed away due to complications of a cardiac arrest. But yeah, she was only 69, so oh. she's now joined with her son. Yeah. No, it's really, really sad. But, uh, well, now the segues us into the meteor part of the podcast, guys. Yes. I love asteroids. Sorry, <laughs> not the right kind. Okay, here we go. So we go into the paranormal yes. aftermath of this ca- of both of these cases. Mm-hmm. Now, here I we mean, go. I talked about unfinished business. There is a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of these podcasts that I listen to, they talk about the crime. But with us, we're going to talk about a little bit more mm-hmm. of the 
paranormal aftermath yes. of everything because you know when something traumatic happens something's always left behind yes. so let's start with biggie small let's start there. let's start with biggie so some claim that biggie's spirit has been seen on occasion outside of the museum where he was shot mm. and his death may have caused an in print in the area surrounding the Peterson Automotive Museum and what I believe is that that type of residual type of haunting mm. think that whatever was left there is just that repeating. energy it's oh. repeating so that energy is repeating due to that residual type of haunting now that's very common with murder victims because yeah like I said before Biggie was gunned down while driving his SUV and one wonders why his spirit is still seen wandering around the sidewalk out in the front. I know. Oh, that is, I mean, it's like you said, that that's such a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it's not even like his spirit, but the energy of that final moment. Oh, that's just on 100%. Repeat, repeat, repeat. I feel oh. like that could be it. Yeah. According to Brian Clune of Hollywood Obscura, another place that Biggie's often seen is at the recording studio in New York where he recorded most of his music. Mm. Now, there has been many reports over the years that it has become an urban legend in its own right. The studio has even called ghost hunters to try to find Ooh. out what it is that Biggie Small wants and to hopefully allow him to move on. Mm -hmm. On more than one occasion, Musicians and or singers will be in the process of recording when a voice from nowhere, out of nowhere, will call out to them on their headphones, distracting them enough to ruin the track that they are working on. I would die. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Bye. Can we reschedule if, in a different location? If while Bye. we're recording this podcast, someone <laughs> talks to me in the headphones, I'm leaving. Like, no. I've warned you. Like, no, I will not. No. You would leave. I would be like, let me grab my phone and let me investigate. I would literally just like put the headphones down and walk out. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Absolutely not. Before you leave, you'll grab your Starbucks. Yeah, well, like, yeah. Excuse me. Hold on. Bye. Priorities. Come on. That's terrifying. Isn't it? it it's, it's, it's been documented. Like you could find yeah. it online. I wonder if that's a similar situation. Like you're pouring so much of yourself out when you're right. creating artistically oh that that sure. must have left some kind of imprint he loved music he yeah. loved recording that was that was his refuge right mm -hmm. there so um another famous rap artist and ex-flame of biggie smalls is little kim mm. now she plus oh my god that have you seen her lately what's left <laughs> <laughs> but um she I don't recognize her anymore. Mm -hmm. She's Fifty Shades White. Mm -hmm. Like, it's insane. How she eerily tries to resemble herself as Faith Evans in a way. Yes. Because she's completely blonde and very pale. Yeah, it's very weird. It's very, very weird. So, little Kim has claimed to have been visited by Biggie Small's spirit. The rapper had come to her in dreams for a while, but when the movie about his life came out, titled Notorious, was released, it was then that he was frequently visiting her in her dreams to complain. So Kim said in an interview to Rap Radar that Biggie was not satisfied with the film Notorious, but that he has love for everyone involved with the film after its release. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a strange i think she was even a, a a guest on one of those like reality shows of a like it was like a 
like a psychic and he um, interviews and does the readings for celebrities. And I think she was in one of those like reality Uh shows where he made communication with Biggie. Uh And she was just, well, you could tell like she was trying to produce tears, but whatever was left of whatever's left on her face, like couldn't produce it. Yeah. That just seems like don't eat pizza before bed. (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) But she feels that she um had like still does sense biggie around her she okay. still communicates with him in his uh in her dreams and and yeah that you know he just wasn't satisfied with the film well who is <laughs> I, that that's the one i'm gonna maybe not believe but the other ones sure well and not uh there's another star that has claimed to have seen and has been visited by another ghost so we go into tupac shakur's paranormal uh-huh. aftermath According to a 2016 article in Mm RollingStones.com, Kendrick Lamar saw Tupac's ghost. Now acclaimed rap artist and activist Kendrick Lamar, who is amazing, by the way, Mm -hmm. I love his work, claims to have been visited in his sleep by the ghost of the legendary Tupac Shakur. Lamar spoke of the incident to Homegrown Radio, recalling how Shakur's silhouette came to him and said, keep doing what you're doing. Don't let my music die. The experience Whoa. later, I know it's insane, but this experience later inspired the closing song to Pimp a Butterfly titled Mortal Man, in which he samples his real life interview with Tupac from 1994. Whoa. They knew each other. Now, I've listened to, to Pimp a Butterfly. It's a great mm-hmm. CD. It's it's a little different, but mm-hmm. it's amazing. Now, the, the song Mortal Man is such a good song always gives me chills because at the end when Tupac says because of the spirits we ain't really rapping we're just letting our dead homies tell stories for us uh, and it shows that Tupac is living on through Kendrick Lamar's music wow I can't I'm getting chills right now yeah. like I can't find the words to say how incredible that is yeah but it's so true what's also even more eerie is that Kendrick and Tupac share the same, they almost share the same birthday. What? Tupac was born June 16th. Kendrick Lamar is born June 17th. Yeah, Gemini life. Ooh. Gemini life for real. I'm also a rapper because I'm a Gemini. You are. There you go. <laughs> so, okay, you need more than one name. Oh, well, that you seems You need exhausting. to be born in June. You're done. 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 Great. Then you got to rap. My name is Bryce and uh, I'm no, white. That's it. Someone <laughs> sign me a label. Thank you. Done. I could write for you. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the most recent report of Tupac's ghost. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a rapper, DJ Quick, in an interview with TMZ.com. He says that one day during a recording session at Legendary Studios where Tupac and Karen Carpenter Ooh. recorded, and DJ Quick told TMZ that while he and Tupac affiliate Big Sky we're in the Karen Carpenter room. It's named after the singer, and it's also been known to be haunted by Karen Carpenter that Tupac made himself known. He goes on to say to him that him and Sky were just joking around during break from recording. Sky leaned back in his chair, lit a blunt, and for no dis- discernible reason began to laugh. DJ Quick said that light started to flicker on and off. He could hear the laugh over his headset. However, it didn't sound like Sky. It sounded identical to Tupac because Tupac had a distinct laughter. Quick believes it was Tupac since the studio has had some really strange occurrences happen 
over the years. <laughs> you know where these studios are? No. They're next door to our job, Bryce. They're in oh. the freaking member in our um in our fifth episode. Our job I is haunted by Charlie Chaplin. Oh, I didn't know either. And then I, I, I knew I was that looking. was a recording studio, but I didn't realize that's what they were called. I I found out that it's inside Henson's Studios. Not wow. to mention in the in the um, episode five, I mentioned that Karen Carpenter's ghost haunts a studio in there. It's that one. Imagine Tupac hitting it with like Karen Carpenter. Yeah. It's only just because. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, that's not going to That's crazy. Isn't that insane? Isn't I, that insane? I just didn't put two and two and two together. That's so. Well, Tupac definitely did. Uh, ah. Math jokes. Look, he like, <laughs> he, like, he like dated everyone. He even dated Madonna. Really? So you know. Oh. Oh. He dated Madonna. Wow. If he hit Madonna, he sure is hitting Karen Carpenter in the afterlife. Oh, my God. He is tapping that Karen oh Carpenter. <laughs> wow. That is They're crazy. making sweet music in the afterlife. Now, I even remember that the Travel Channel, um, the show Ghost, Hunt, uh, Ghost Adventures, mm. they did an episode in Vegas where they um, did an investigation at the Madame Tussauds Wax Museum at the Venetian Hotel. And during their investigation, they encountered some physical manifestations and collected EVP readings on their equipment near the wax figure of Tupac Shakur. Whoa. The museum is also a few blocks away from where he was gunned down. So they feel that they collected EVP rings from, you know, Tupac Shakur because they were so close to his figure. And then they realized when they left the museum that, oh, crap, the corner where he was gunned down, it's like several blocks away from here. Weird. Isn't that insane? That's, yeah. Oh. <laughs> No, 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 no. Now, based on both of their music and lyrics, Tupac and Biggie had an eerie obsession with death. Mm. Biggie had albums with titles such as Ready to Die and Life After Death. Tupac with albums such as Don Caluminati and The Seven Day Theory, my favorite. The songs mm. Hail Mary and To Live and, D- and Die in L.A. still give me chills and mm-hmm. feels. He, you know, in both of those albums, they're predicting their deaths. Right. But when I brought this up to my husband, you know, he said, you know, some people can carry that and run with it Mm. because they think it's eerie. But if you think of it, if you think about it, like they glorified the thug life, they, Mm -hmm. you know, ran around with other gang members. So they, you know, lived by the gun and they died by it. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. And especially as involved or interwoven with gang existence, like Mm -hmm. you would be watching young men your age die every day yeah so i i see what you're i see what charlie's saying yeah just like that they knew they were like when it it becomes that normalized yeah when you're desensitized to it like of course you would have a short expectation for your life exactly (sighs) i know it's really it's really sad so this is the true crime and paranormal aftermath of tupac shakur and biggie smalls we will never know who killed them? We would never know. No. Like it will remain unsolved forever. Yeah, it w- in my opinion, no one wants to come forward. No one will ever come forward. No. All right, so we take it to a close. Let's do it. Let's All wrap right, it guys. out, guys. So before we're going to you know wrap this little you know episode here, we're going to give some spiritual based shoutouts of the week. We have a few. Yeah. First one is pleasing terrors. What's up, Mike? Host Mike Brown takes you on a terror filled journey. The pleasing terror podcast features stories about haunted places creepy history and forgotten folklore it's literature true crime and ghost stories it's a great podcast because it reminds me of the podcast lore Mm. Uh, it's very well versed very well researched 
plus I Celine Dion love history and paranormal. <laughs> like I love it when they're both like having yeah, a baby same. and it's this one and pleasing Terrace. And then the second one is my favorite mysterious circumstances interested in the occult the paranormal and true crime this is the podcast for you mysterious circumstances is a well detailed and well researched investigative podcast that dives deep into the unsolved and host justin drops everything from true crime to the paranormal with an unpolished and raw pirate radio styled sound Wow. And I've been communicating with them on cool. online. They're awesome. I love it. They're great. And our biggest shout out, mm. our huge shout out is to the cleaning of John yes. Dope. Dope. John Dope. They're dope as fuck. Love uh-huh. this podcast. <laughs> Real life crime scene cleaner started a podcast. That's what it's pretty much about. True stories from her, you know, standpoint. Vanessa takes you behind the yellow tape and gives you a peek into her world. Mm. In our opinion, Vanessa is crime scene Bay, Bay from California, and Bay with the crime scene tape. The triumvirate. I know. <laughs> and if you love Hollywood Paranormal, guys, we love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. It really helps us out a lot, and it helps us become a little more visible. Yes. Thank you guys for tuning in. Yes, thank you so much. What a crazy week this has been. <laughs> this has been a great week. Yeah. Not to mention we hung out with the trio, Booze and Bruce. I know. They're our unofficial <laughs> shout out because they were so amazing. They're so amazing. If you guys want love beer and, and ghosts. And who doesn't? Who doesn't? I do. That's for sure. <laughs> Go check them out. We had the opportunity to hang out with them on Tuesday night. I bought pants for them. You <laughs> That is so true. So go listen to them. It's worth it. <laughs> it's very worth it. They are the same behind the mic and in mm-hmm. person. Like they're just, they don't turn off. Yeah, I love it. I it know. It was so fun. And I never go out. So No, like, I know. It was like my quinceanera. <laughs> I'm coming out. I'm coming buying out. pants. This is a big day for me. Bryce wore pants. It was amazing. <laughs> what a day. It was a great day. <laughs> All right, guys. Keep it real. Bye. Always remember to stay weird. Bye. Bye.